Welcome and thanks for joining us on the Predlines podcast. Um, as usual, I'm uh, Michael Wade here, joined by uh, Corey Francis and George Matarangas, the co-experts over at Predlines.com. Uh, start with you, Corey. How have, have you been enjoying this uh, every other night uh, hockey game kind of week? It's been nice because I can actually plan my life around doing other things like Christmas parties or whatever. And then, hey, I got a hockey game that night. It's always a great time for me to be able to watch it, especially uh, with my oldest daughter. She's really getting to the Predators lately. So it's been nice. It's a good time for us. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I agree. It's kind of fun to, you know, maybe in the, the things get a little busier, you start having something every night with the social life and hockey uh, all the time. Um, George, how about you up in uh, f- how in the frigid Midwest, I should say? Well, I don't actually have a social life. I pretty much just have hockey. So I've just been watching hockey every night, taking it as much as I can. Um, I've been following a lot of the rookies this year uh, because in the beginning it really did seem like the Calder race was going to be a, a one-horse race between Clayton Keller and himself. But Brock Besser stepped in, <laughs> uh, Charlie McAvoy stepped in. And I'm I'm loving it. I think there's a couple of really good rookies that that could really impress in the next upcoming years, uh, especially McAvoy for Norris. But we'll see we'll see how it continues. And you went you went to a Packers game uh, on Sunday, I believe. How was that? Yeah, uh, it was really cool. Uh, different than a Predators game. Um, it, <laughs> yeah, it was. Imagine so. A lot more dancing, oddly enough. There was I think we danced like three or four times like during the game, which I thought was a little odd because plays were happening. But you know, who am I to question tradition? And uh, you know, the Packers won despite some very, very shaky uh, quarterback play. So, you know, it was, it's a good day for the frozen tundra. That's right. And you mentioned uh, Charlie McAvoy, which is a nice, uh, nice segue. We are currently recording in the second intermission of the Predators Boston uh, game. Currently, the Preds are up four one. We're all hoping that we don't jinx it by kind of starting this one a little early, so we can get it perhaps a full night's sleep sleep uh, first all, guess, yeah right uh, we'll, we'll try to try to get a little bit at least um i was a little uh frightened if we were going to start recording this at 10 p.m i was thinking it was going to be a very long night mm-hmm. so uh anyway at least we're a little better off than that um uh, as far as the past week has gone we had a, a victory with chicago in town a, a loss to vancouver <clears throat> and then that uh very uh i don't know it's hard to come up with the words to really describe that Anaheim game other than, uh, you know, shocking, I guess, kind of scary uh, things that I don't necessarily like to see in a hockey game. Of course, if you read my provocatively titled uh, stats breakdown of that game, uh, you'll know that I, I'm not a big fan of that type of game. But we'll start with the, uh, the Chicago game. Uh, Predators now 2-0-1 in the season series against the Blackhawks. Uh, and I thought that was a, a pretty good performance. You know, Chicago, no matter on, you know, on paper, it seems like the Predators are kind of getting increasing the gap between the teams but chicago always puts on a good show it seems um so Corey, what, what were your uh, kind of immediate takeaways from that blackhawks game immediately i just noticed that it just felt like for me the first period the blackhawks were kind of i don't want to say pushing us around but it, like their speed was just effective getting to the puck pressuring the predators and getting you know causing them to uh to i don't want to say make, necessarily make mistakes with the puck but at least force some things and so it, it was good to see the Predators kind of settle in afterward. Um, they kind of, uh, uh, after that first period, they kind of felt like they got back into the, they got into the game and, and started really playing the game they should have been playing the entire time. And it was always really nice when you can get away 
uh, play in Chicago and get away with a win. I mean, that's the, that's been our biggest rivalry for a long time. It just seems like whether it's their fans or just the way they play on the ice, it's always been a tough game. But just after last year's sweep and the, and the pressure to have repeat performances, it seems like the Predators are living up to expectations against the Blackhawks this year. And I really, really like seeing that, especially that's uh, after that first period. Yeah, it's, uh, it's if you kind of look at the who was producing shots throughout the game, it was – uh, you know, it was pretty even towards the end of the second. Or sorry, towards the end of the end of the first period, it definitely was in Chicago's favor, and, uh, and they got you know the the second goal of the game, so they kind of had the momentum for the rest of that period. It was all Nashville for the second period. The uh, the shot production was entirely <clears throat> on on the Predators side of things, and then it was. It, you know, it was less dramatic because the the lead they had it, taking into the third period, they took a, a two one lead into the third period and so the 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 kind of late collapse was a little less dramatic than usual you know usually we're risking a three four goal uh, goal lead sort of late but it it definitely slid back in chicago's favor uh towards the end of the game but luckily uh they they only conceded one goal and and took home the three two or sorry one goal in the third period i should say and and took home the three two victory uh george what were your thoughts on that uh chicago game uh, it was it was a good game in general. I thought a uh, good rivalry matchup. You know, those games are always tricky. You never know who's going to come out on top just because anything can happen. Um, that was a game that I kind of started to notice a lot of disparity between uh, zone deployment, uh, especially just between the first and first, second, and then everyone else. Uh, where the Johansson line started in the offensive zone sixty percent of the time, whereas the uh, the Tourist line started in the offensive zone eighty three percent of the time with actually Kevin Fiala starting in the offensive zone 100% of the time. Uh, oh, wow, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. And then on top of that, you see them kind of sacrificing Nick Benino and Kyle Yarncroke and, uh, and uh, Freddie Goudreau on like the altar of, of offensive uh, zone deployment just so that they can put those top two lines in the best position to score. And I've kind of said this before where... Yeah, the the organization as a whole is a gambling kind of organization where uh, you see a lot in their contracts where they bet on young players very early and they kind of, you know, we're going to give you a long term and but we're going to give you a little bit less salary and we're just going to hope that it all works out. Where if Victor Arvidsson, for instance, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if Victor Arvidsson was say to only ever put up 10 points for the rest of the for the rest of his career, that four and a half million dollars or whatever he's on would look pretty bad. And so what we're seeing here from the zone deployment is they're saying that they think that they're betting that their top two lines can produce more than their top and their bottom two will give up. And I'm actually with with people in the lineup like Mika Salamaki, Austin Watson, Kelly Yarncroke. I'm actually I actually don't think that's as bad of a bet as we might think it is. Um, yeah, but I don't know necessarily how long that can go on, especially when the fourth line's only playing eight minutes and the third line's only playing about twelve minutes. It's pretty disproportionate, and um, those are at five on five. I should mention too. Yeah, I, I've definitely noticed kind of the the defensive deployment of that third line. You know, it, it's got the the three centers, um, and and I think like you mentioned, so far it's been relatively effective. Um, it's kind of a it is kind of a dangerous. You know, I I hesitate to say gamble just to repeat the word you use, but you know, to to really put all your eggs in that one basket of and really divide up the responsibilities so distinctly it seems like maybe it's a bit of a risk but um you know if it gets the result then it's fine and like you said i think the the bottom end of the predators forward roster is 
is talented enough at suppressing shots that I think it, it will pay off if they can if they continue to commit to that um, that system. Uh, and, and I thought the moving on to the Vancouver game, I thought that that was I, my big takeaways from the Vancouver game were just complete defensive breakdowns. Uh, it, it seems like a lot of the time the, on the the blue line of Nashville is is totally incapable of kind of, um, d- of defending the rush. And I know that um, I forget which goal it was. It may have been the, the final goal before the empty netter for Vancouver. You know, it was like a, a three on two, I think, and both of the Predators defensemen <clears throat> bit on the same player. They both covered the same guy and just left the back of the net completely wide open, um, which was a little disappointing because I thought in that Chicago game they were pretty tight throughout. It seemed like they were pretty solid in the in that blue line, but um, the Vancouver game really exposed a lot of the concerns I have maybe with the the blue line in Nashville. Um, but uh, once again, Corey, what uh, what did you think about that loss to the Canucks? Well, I, I, I mentioned it in our uh, in my preview for that game, just the amount of emotion that Vancouver's going to wind up playing with. They had been struggling a little bit anyway, but then to have uh, Derek Dorsett, one of their veteran players, uh, just have to have to call it quits, have to shut it down. And uh, that that news came out that morning with the doctor saying that he couldn't play anymore. He's risking severe injury, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I knew that was going to be an aspect that that was going to, uh, if they kept it close, that was going to help push them over. And they did exactly that. The thing that concerned me the most, though, was in the second period, two minutes forty two seconds in, Craig Smith gets a goal, great goal, first goal of the game. Predators take a quick lead, but then twelve seconds later, they let Vancouver right back in it. And I think that just shows the limited focus that they have after scoring goals. Sometimes they don't keep it. They don't, as we've said several times, they don't keep the pedal uh, on the, you know, the gas down. They don't keep the pedal to the floor. They score and kind of let up. And I think that's exactly what happened right there uh, early in that second period. Yeah. And at the time of that first goal, you know, since about, a third of the way through the first period it really had been all Nashville in terms of shooting uh, shot production they had really been enjoying a a large amount of the possession and then right before Nashville scored they had just killed off a penalty uh, that kind of straddled the the intermission but you're right I mean it was I I was there in the building and it was pretty shocking just an incredible you know change in the atmosphere of just immediate uh, kind of silence after such a you know a high intensity moment but then you know even right after that they got they got one right back pretty soon after on the power play um so it was it was a back and forth game for a while and then about halfway through the second period that's when things started trending more towards vancouver so um again you know we keep beating this drum but they've got to play 60 minutes and and that was a great example of of that once again um kind of being there I, i hesitate to say achilles heel more of just a glaring uh problem uh, George, what were your thoughts on that Canucks game? Well, Roman Yossi got exposed. Oh, that was bad. I wrote an article about it, and uh, I I referenced a few different uh, stats and a few different charts, but one of the things I've been kind of noticing with him is he's been playing on the left side, and that left side of the net, especially when playing with Ekholm, is just, I mean, the shots are so overpowered over there. There's There's at least probably three shots on the left side to every one shot on the right side where Ekholm is. Um, he, he's especially in that game. The thing that I noticed was that he was very weak in front of his own net. Uh, he got out muscled or out hustled by uh, smaller guys a few times, and uh, he gave a few shots. 
uh, his transition play was pretty bad too in the neutral zone. He wasn't doing a very good job of of reading lanes and uh, stepping up and closing the gap on uh, on um, uh, odd man rushes. Um, Ekholm didn't play very well either, and I think that's kind of the key for Yossi to play well defensively. Is Ekholm kind of needs to step up and be an eraser. I I also read an article about comparing Ekholm to uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, who's the best the best pure defensive defenseman in the NHL. And so it was is curious to see that while Ekholm does put up incredible stats, he's probably second or third best in the league and as far as pure defense goes. But you know, if Ekholm's not on his A game, then Roman Yossi's probably gonna get exposed, especially when they're not especially when he's not getting shelter uh from Peter Laviolette and when he's playing against top line talent like he was against the Canucks where he, uh Brock Bezer and uh, Bo Horvat were just running through him. They couldn't do anything. I saw him chasing a few times on, on the cycle, and it was just bad. Um, and I don't really know why it happened either, because, uh, again, they were at home. Peter Laviolette had the last change. But instead, it kind of seemed like he was giving P.K. Subban the night off because Subban was facing lesser talent, second, third liners, and he was performing excellent. I just have his Corsi up right now from that game, and he had a 65 Corsi and a 75 Fenwick. Um, yeah, he's on <laughs> he's on the ice for 11 scoring chances for and five high danger chances for. But because Yossi and Ekholm weren't, you know, Yossi wasn't performing well and Ekholm had a night, had a bad game, that it didn't matter how well P.K. Subban was performing because they just, they just because the Vancouver Canucks were just getting that, that matchup that they wanted. Um, Going into that game, I had sort of expected Subban to be deployed against uh, uh, Besser a lot. You know, we all knew going to that game that the Besser was going to be kind of the, the one of the Canucks top weapons uh in, in reality he Subban actually only played for five on five he played just over three minutes against Brock Besser most of his time was against uh the Sedins uh Louis Erickson that's uh that line so but they're still very good it was a surprise I mean yeah right, it, it was, it was a surprising mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I, I just tend to you know uh, underestimate the Sedins, and I, I tend to buy into that kind of past their prime narrative a little too much. So I was expecting Subban to be used against Besser, um, as you know he he tends to be used against uh, top opponents pretty much every night. But and Besser certainly showed everyone that he's the real deal. Um, you know I I definitely have seen his highlights, but I, I hadn't been able to see him play in a full game. And um, you know Predators fandom aside, that was he's a, he's a special player to watch. Uh, so, you know, at, at least if, if we're going to get beat, it was, uh, I, I believe, two goals by Besser. So it's, it's hard to it's hard to be too angry when a, a player of that quality is the one kind of doing the damage. Um, and, and we should I guess we'll just move on this. You know, obviously, the the big talking point of the week was this uh, just monster of a game with Anaheim in town. Every time uh, before the Predators play the Ducks, I tend to kind of reset and think like, oh, it's not that bad. Um, You know, Anaheim does have a very talented team uh, when they're healthy and and even really when they're uh, in in bad shape right now. I mean, they still have some very talented players, especially in the defensive zone. Um, And then every time we play them, it's just I get angry immediately. I mean, I, I just some really indefensible moments in that game, in my opinion, um, really, really dangerous plays after the whistle. Oh, the Bruins just scored as I was talking. Mm. So it's four, two. Um, anyhow, uh, I think we're all probably 
on the same page with this Anaheim game. Uh, Corey, were you kind of equally <laughs> equally upset as I was? Yeah, I mean, they they let the emotions get the best of them, I think, a lot of situations. I mean, you saw one play where uh, Johansson just, for no reason, just stiff arms a guy right in the face, you know, picks up a stupid penalty uh, late in the game and just gives gives Anaheim another chance to get in. Um, you know, of course, you know, I wish Corey Perry would fall off the face of the earth. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we share a name and we share a birth date. I'm just a few years oh, older than yeah. him. Yeah, unfortunately, we have the same birth date, uh, except I'm six years older than him, but, you know, he's playing hockey and has a stick and blades, and I don't want to fight him anytime soon. <laughs> but he, he's... Uh, that's just the type of play. I mean, yes, we want to be able to meet the physical play of teams like Anaheim, like Pittsburgh when we face them, but we don't want to let the emotions go over the top. And I think they just lost it a few too many times uh, and put them in bad situations. Yeah, they definitely, there were moments when I could see kind of the the blood rising in in a lot of the Predators players. I thought they did better than they could have done at at controlling that emotion. Like you mentioned, the Johansson penalty was just, um, completely pointless you know they're just totally unnecessary um he's he's definitely the type of player that's prone to getting in, like too emotionally involved in these in this anaheim matchup um we all kind of you know heard the narrative from the the playoffs before he had you know had to leave because of injury you know he was really getting into it with kessler and a lot of their other players um and then Eckholm had a, a roughing penalty on perry i think perry was kind of giving it to Pecorine off the puck and that home bit a little too hard on that but otherwise I think that they did pretty well at kind of making Anaheim the bad guys in that game um obviously we all saw uh Kevin Fiala you know attempted murder from from Nick Rich after Fiala scored uh kind of uh which apparently is justified if you uh if you make contact with the player's stick I, I was not aware of that until the uh, had a few unfortunate encounters with some Ducks fans after that game. And, and we have another Boston a, goal. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, I'm behind yeah, on Pastor, the stream. Yeah, Pasternak, unassisted. Oh, wow. so good. Look at that. That was another disappearing shot trick. Yeah. So Nashville's just going to – oh, yeah, there it is. Nashville's just going to give away this uh, 4 nothing lead. Oh, geez. So getting back to Anaheim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, George, I'll let you jump in here and, and tell us about your take on this uh, Ducks game. Yeah, that was one of the hardest games I've ever had to watch. Like, I just, it was a struggle for me to get through that third period too, and and overtime and whatever. I, it was just, it. I hate using the old phrase like, yeah, I went to a, I went to a boxing match or whatever. I went to a fight in a, or a fight in a hockey game broke out. And a hockey game broke out because yeah, yeah. it's just so cliche and stupid. But that, what, that's kind of what it felt like. Uh, I've I've kind of talked about. It before. I did have to avoid using that exact phrase in the article. I didn't I didn't want to be as cliche as that. But you're right. That's as, what it was. I was going to say, as an editor, I would have deleted it. I would have just taken it. I've been like, shame <laughs> on you. <laughs> um, yeah, I that game was just hard to watch. I I've said it before, especially about Johansson. Um, but some some of these guys just after a certain period of time, they look kind of disinterested with playing hockey. And look more interested with actually trying to fight people, which is cool if you're like in like the UFC or in the WWE. But unfortunately, we don't judge by how great your takedown was. We judge by how many goals are on the board at the end of the night. And quite frankly, I think the uh, the Predators were a little bit lucky to to come out victorious on that one, um, especially because the Ducks didn't really play well at all. Um, 
what I think that we did see, though, is two elite defenses going at it. And if you look at the heat maps especially, um, I think I think you can you can tell just from the five on five heat maps that are on natural stat trick, you can you get the sense that well a lot of the area may be green or blue or or whatever. It's not a barely any places on the map are a deep shade, which means that people were getting shots off, but people weren't like getting shots from high danger areas or even consistently from one area. Um, T-Cyclone had a good news. Forsberg, Forsberg just scored. Oh, scored. Sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah. Oh man, my stream is so far behind. It's okay, I'm, I'm just right. watching. Oh, yeah, the, look at him go. There he goes. Go. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm watching the uh, the uh, gamecast thing on uh, NHL.com oh, okay. right now. Okay. So I've got um, it. I've got the Fox Sports go up, but it's always a little behind. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, anyway, sorry George. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we have to celebrate the good things. Where they, you know, they give up a couple goals. We got to make sure we point out the time they do something well. Right. Right. <laughs> I will say though. Uh, uh, anyway, George, go back to telling us why we shouldn't be happy about the Predators. Well, I will say actually one of the, one of the good things about about this game in Boston is that they're looking very anti-Predators and that they're scoring most of their goal or actually all of their goals at five on five, which is. I think one, wasn't uh, was one of, I think their fourth goal was on a power okay. play. No, it's maybe. all five on five. They've, they've, they're oh, one on the power play. Yeah, it's all five on five. All right. Well, great. That's great. Jeez, even I know that stat. Come on, yeah, man. They, they, they <laughs> no, need I, know. I, I tend to wait until the end of the game to actually look at anything. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Well, I, for one, as a Predators fan, I'm just glad that Cody McLeod was out there against the Ducks to make oh sure that gosh. to make sure the Ducks didn't take any liberties with the Predators players. Uh, so at nine nineteen on Monday night, you were happy that Cody McLeod was on the ice. I just have to write that down for everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Although I sen- I sense dripping sarcasm, <laughs> and I agree. Like I didn't want to be too smug about that, but you can see that really it needs to be up to the referees. And in my opinion, some after the fact Department of Player Safety, it needs to be up to the league <laughs> to protect players and not the fists of. Uh, an aging uh, enforcer. Yeah. Um, McLeod did have his little, you know, scheduled tilt. Um, and I, it, he, it was, a, he I guess, a quote unquote good fight. He yeah. won. Like, uh, it, I think hockey fights. It, like they, they both, they both kind of had to be separated while exhausted, but I think you're right. I think McLeod did get the upper hand. Um, I just, you can see that that really his presence had absolutely zero. I think he played four and a half minutes, which is low even by his standards. Um, and again, I'm I'm done. I'll be honest. I am done. Just kind of preaching about how I don't want McLeod in this lineup. Obviously, the team values having him in there at certain points. I just think that was a great example at how it is just completely unrealistic to rely on a single player and toughness to shut down a, a team that's just determined to be chippy after the whistle. Um, and we obviously this was not, uh, I'm certainly not blaming Anaheim for this, but Johansson was injured uh, coming out of that game. I think he, they showed it on TV. I had yet to see it. I was at that game as well. Um, I saw him leave the ice. I did not see him actually go down, but he and Fiala got tangled up way behind the play. Um, just a very unfortunate collision. And Johansson's, uh, as, as I'm sure everyone knows, up, he's day to day with an upper body injury. I'm really questioning what that could be, you know, what an injury significant enough to make him miss game a game or two, but not miss any more than that. It's, it's kind of strange. Um, I wonder if maybe he got a dislocation or something that can sort of be quickly fixed. Um, But of course that's all speculation. 
Um, but that does bring us to an interesting thing. Of, of, tonight we can see in this Bruins game that the lines are very strange. Um, they kept the uh, 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 Fiala Turris Smith line intact, which I think is a good move. They've been very successful, certainly on the power play. Uh, uh, Turris has been great, and I think that keeping that combination together is, is probably for the best. Um, Forsberg and Arvidsson have been split up, and I think they opted to have Forsberg on Yarn Croak's line, which I think is a, a pretty decent thing. Um, but we've seen, I think, the uh, it's safe to say that the offense has not struggled in this game, at least from from missing Johansson. I think uh, we could all agree on that. But Corey, I think if 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 we if Johansson misses, uh, assuming he's he will not play tomorrow night, but if he misses any more than that, do you do you think this will really be a detriment to this offense? <laughs> Well, anytime you're you're taking apart one of the best lines in all of hockey, that Jofa line, you know, you're, yeah, it's gonna. I think it's gonna hurt a little bit. The good thing is we have that depth now, which we have, you know, some moving parts. I think we have, like you said, Forsberg and Yarncroak, and I think Auberg uh, on the line together, which that's kind of an interesting line. I kind of like seeing uh, Auberg getting a chance to to play with Forsberg and and see what can happen. Unfortunately, there hasn't been any real work there yet, but the. My main concern, though, is when you don't have that main line, you, you know, the one you've kind of, that's kind of been the star and the, and the leader of the group, if that's not there on the ice for a long period of time, how's your, are you going to find that offensive uh, rhythm that you've had in so many different games? Um, the game, we've got a game coming up tomorrow night versus Dallas. It could be an issue there. Um, Versus Vegas, you know, it could be an issue there as well with their with their team speed and the way they attack the net. You know, we want to have some, we'll be able to counterattack that and, and get on a breakaway or two. So it could, the longer he's out, the harder it's going to be, I think. Uh, I'm really I'm really skeptical about that game versus Vegas, though. That's the, that's the one I'm really interested in seeing how it goes without him in the eye, uh, him in the, in the lineup. One of the more interesting things for me, and I, I would not be surprised, George, if this is a point you wanted to bring up, because I know you like talking about uh, kind of zone starts and that sort of thing. But we know that uh, that Jofa line, like you mentioned, uh, in terms of their offensive ability, they're definitely uh, among the league's best. But they are they tend to be very sheltered. So they, they basically have as, as little defensive responsibility as Laviolette can give them. They have. So now it will be interesting to see since that line is disrupted. Um, how Forsberg and Arvidsson respond to probably not being able to be uh, sheltered that much um, since they're on different lines and, and with different players. Uh, George, I, I, what do you think about this uh, Johansson omission for potentially a few more games? I actually uh, don't think it's that bad of an issue. Um, it doesn't really affect Philip Forsberg. Uh, Forsberg is one of the better possession-driving wingers in the game, which in the NHL there aren't that many. You basically have like Patrick Kane and him being the biggest one, and Philip Forsberg, uh, Clayton Keller, I'm, I'm, oh, Taylor Hall is like, I think is like the biggest possession driving uh, winger in the NHL, but he's going to be okay no matter where you stick him on, no matter if you stick him with Kelly and Croker or with Nick Benino or whoever. Um, one of the things I actually thought was really interesting as far as zone starts go with, uh, with the Joe line was that when the tourist line came in, or before the tur- before tourists came in, they were starting the offensive zone about fifty nine percent of the time, which is quite quite offensively heavy. Uh, you know, ten points above average, and you know about eight or seven points above like reasonable. Uh, but as soon as um, as soon as tourists came in, they actually started in the offensive zone about fifty uh, fifty four or fifty three percent of the time, 
which is and a lot of a lot of that shell train then went to the second line, uh, which I th- which was pretty cool uh, to see that uh, they were trying to give tourists they're trying to put tourists in the best place to succeed, and I actually think that that is what has made. Uh, that's what's kind of started off uh, Fiala and uh, Craig Smith because if we look at their stats, they were actually performing very well before uh, tourists came in. And I don't want to take any away from tourists, but um, I I had a I had written a few times about how it was only a matter of time before Fiala pots a few, and uh, Craig Smith just kind of got hot as Craig Smith does. We'll see how long that that'll last. Um, but yeah, I'm I don't know. It's it's a little it's interesting. I'm glad that that they just moved uh, the entire Fiala, or I'm sorry, the entire tourist lineup instead of just trying to transplant Fiala with, um, or I'm sorry, tourists with uh, Arvidsson and Forsberg. Um, and I'm I'm not sure though if I like uh, splitting up Auberg. I'm not Auberg, sorry, Arvidsson and uh, and Forsberg though, just because uh, I don't necessarily think that Arvidsson is a good possession driver and I've seen his or his stats without Johansson are very, uh, very average at best. Um, so I wonder how he's going to fare with someone like Nick Benino, who isn't necessarily a possession driver himself. Um, again, not to, not, not to speak ill of Arvidsson too much, but you know, he can't, he's not really a, he can't really carry a line, even though he puts in a lot of hustle and he makes a lot of plays happen. He's not really, he can't really be the guy, um, but so far he, he's been doing uh, well. This uh, this Bruins game, by the way, is taking an interesting turn. Uh, Forsberg and Marchand now are both in the penalty box, and I believe uh, we might see a fight <laughs> between these two players. There, uh, Marchand is repeating, "Do you want to fight?" Uh, this is all after Tori Krug uh, sort of tried to uh, murder Victor Arvidsson. <laughs> Um, it, it, things spilled over a little bit. Pasternak missed a wide open uh, net. He could have gotten it in behind Pecorine and just totally whiffed on the shot. Uh, and now, yes, uh, Brad Marchand and uh, Philip Forsberg are mouthing off from their respective penalty boxes. Uh, things have spoiled, uh, boiled over rather a little bit here mm-hmm. uh, with this Boston game. Currently, Predators are up five to three with uh, ten and a half minutes left. Yeah, uh, you think we would have learned our lesson last time about recording podcasts during uh, kind of ongoing news with the, the, the train train train, happening. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I thought we would be safe with the four, one lead. I was, I mean, if any, if any team is not safe with a, a three goal lead, it's definitely the predators. Um, anyhow, I, I think you both kind of touched on the fact that the, the addition of some of this, some other centers, uh, and, and kind of not only the addition of, but sort of the improvement of some of the already existing centers on this roster, have made the Predators much more capable of missing Johansson, and it's certainly just for a few games. It sounds, at this point, it sounds like it won't be anything beyond this week. Uh, we can certainly hope that's true. Um, I can't tell if the Predators are scored. No, I think they blew it dead beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I think uh, the, the Dallas game will be interesting because th- Dallas still tends to be a very offensive team. They, you know, they put up seven goals in, in Denver the other night uh, or last night, I guess. Um, so it will be a battle of forwards, and uh, we'll see if that uh, Johansson. By the way, I, I will certainly maintain that Johansson is still Nashville's best forward. Um, I know that you know his his uh, presence on a score sheet may not uh, represent that, but definitely in terms of driving possession, uh, he and, and that uh, that line that he's on so often with 
uh, Forsberg and Arvidsson just tends to really control shot production while they're on the ice. Uh, so from that perspective, they will miss Johansson, but I think that they have the tools, uh, hopefully, to to keep up with that. Um, and, and I did think it was interesting that Yarncroke, they, they opted to put Yarncroke with Forsberg. I think that Yarncroke is a smart center, and I think that he can sort of uh, be a decent substitute for Johansson in terms of uh, kind of working with Forsberg to drive possession. He's obviously being used mostly to suppress shots, so it will be kind of fun to see him uh, be on tonight, maybe tomorrow night, be able to kind of unlock his attacking capability with a player like uh, Philip Forsberg, who obviously is a great shooter um, and can kind of unlock offense like that. I, for one, am still hoping to see um, Salamaki, Jürgen Kroken, and, um, and Austin Watson all line together. Just, I, I want to see the shot suppression. That would just be... Just yeah, no offense. It'd basically be like five defensemen on yeah. the ice at the same time. You'll probably see it in the final minute um, that would be interesting. of this Boston game, too. I've seen that. That would be very interesting to see those three on with, like, uh, you know, Yossi in a, in, a, in a dream world we're in here with, like, Yossi and Suvan and just see the most attacking defensemen with <laughs> defensive forwards just kind of flip everything. Um, and, and the lines are, let's see, I've, I'm, I'm not... Um, I can't remember exactly what all the, all four of the lines look like tonight, but I, I think it's worth talking about um, just kind of how how Nashville's approached this absence of of Johansson and how they've tried to um, kind of mitigate that loss a little bit. Um, I, I'm pulling it up here. Okay. okay, so at the moment, the the I guess people want to call it the Smurf line. I don't really. Well, I do know how I feel about that. I don't like it. Um, the, the Smith, the Fiala Terrace line. Um, that, that's currently in the, the number one spot. Second line is Forsberg, Yarncroke, Aberg. Um, Sissons, Benino, Arvidsson on the third. And then the fourth line is Salamaki, Gaudreau, Watson. Again, basically just a penalty kill unit on that fourth line. Um, so the, I think, I guess the line we haven't really talked about at all is the Sissons, Benino, Arvidsson line. I haven't, uh, Sissons is a player that's kind of flown under my radar this year. I, he's, He's made it onto my kind of who you know, you know who played well tables a few a few times. He he does tends to do pretty well with possession, um, but like we said, he he's sort of being employed in that bottom six usually as kind of a, a shot suppressing forward. Um, Corey is is Sisson someone who's kind of stuck out to you for any reason this year? Um, not you know I, he hasn't been memorable to me, and I, maybe that's just me not paying enough attention to what he's doing. Um, but I haven't heard his name called a lot. I haven't heard him. I haven't seen him do a lot of things horribly wrong that would make me give him, you know, give pause. Uh, but I haven't seen him do a lot of stuff that would give me a lot of confidence in him right now either. But I mean, I know he's got a he's got a, an assist tonight. He's performed a little bit better recently. I think that maybe because Benino has also shown some strides in the last few games of uh, moving forward, and he scored a couple goals the last few weeks or last couple games. Um, but, you know, you watch that Blackhawks game and, and that line was just they were horrible. I mean, they got, I think all of them had a, a Corsi under 30 uh, for the entire yeah, game. Right. And, and so it's just I, they haven't done anything memorable. He hasn't done anything memorable to me, at least yet. So I'm hoping he can pull it up uh, and, and do some and you know score some more points and show that he was show, him, show us that he was the person we saw in the playoffs. Um that's what I'm waiting yeah, to see. Yeah, I, I, I do apologize. You know, I, I didn't mean to just put you on the spot by kind of pulling a player out of a hat and asking you, uh, you know, how you think. Uh, you're right. You did mention that, you know, his playoff performance was uh, obviously in that game six of the Anaheim 
uh, series, especially with the hat trick uh, to send us to the cup final. Um, those sorts of things are very memorable. I think uh, for his, for how he's being used right now, assistance is playing well. And I think that's true. Uh, just kind of extend this to the rest of the line uh, with Benino as well. I think that's true. Benino, you know, he's not, no one's expecting, you know, a, elite sniper out of either of these guys or this line um and now with arvidson on there it's just kind of i i hate this term and it doesn't really fit here but you know an energy line it's supposed to kind of keep the keep the pressure on the opponents uh, with arvidson really crashing the net um benino and sisson's kind of keeping things up defensively um and i think that they've done pretty you know individually they've done pretty well at that and it will be interesting to see them as a line um again i'm assuming that these lines will stay similar for tomorrow's game. It may be totally different, but I think offensively Nationals look pretty good tonight. Um, and George, I know that, you know, you, you like to talk about the bottom six and their kind of shot suppression nature is, is this a line that you think could be successful at kind of keeping that sort of thing up? I do like this line much better than I liked the Sissons, Benino and Yarncroke line, just because I, when I think of Benino, I think of more of an offensive presence more so than a, than a shot suppressor. And I think that, Colton Sissons at this point in his career is a better winger just because I think that while he's a good two-way center, the Preds want more offense out of him and they, they're willing to sacrifice that shot suppression. And so by moving him over to the wing, they can kind of decrease his defensive responsibilities. Unfortunately, they're not, they're not putting him in a, in a, a situation to succeed offensively where he's getting on average on five on five, his own starts in the offensive zone are 27.27%. Um, and while He's done okay possession wise. He's had a few really good games. I think his he's got like a forty nine point five Corsi and a forty nine point six Fenwick, which are pretty much average. I'm willing to round up there. And uh, what I keep coming back to is he's he reminds me very much of the Predators at the start of the season, where they dominated possession, but they failed to kind of produce any high danger chances. And just kind of if you look at where he plays, he's very much a perimeter player where he's really good at possessing the puck around around the boards, and he's really good at winning those battles, but he's pretty lacking when it comes to actually actually putting the puck in a place uh, where, where there's a, a good scoring chance. Um, I think playing with Benino is going to help, or playing more so with Benino and a little bit less with Yarncroke is going to help. And then on top of that, playing with, uh, playing with Arvidsson, I do think will open up some more chances for him. Um, just tonight, though, from the way it was going, if I remember correctly, I think... Him and him and Arvidsson have the best zone starts at like fifty percent of the uh, of the entire team, and then I think they're rocking like a forty five Corsi. I mean, the entire team's not really producing a bunch, but like they're they're still they're still they leave me wanting quite a bit. I don't necessarily know. I think Benito and Arvidsson are fine, but I don't necessarily know if Colton Sissons is the guy to 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 keep there. You know. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the high danger chances. Um, currently. I guess at the time uh, before this Boston game, Nashville is in the bottom three for uh, high danger chances created. Um, and, and I think they've been better recently of that uh, um, kind of in the past couple I mean, of weeks. They, they were dead last. They were dead last two weeks ago. I mean, they were behind yeah. Arizona and Buffalo. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So I think, you know, like you said, they, they were creating plenty of, sh- of shots or at least, you know, shot attempts. They just weren't, they're pretty harmless. Um, if you really kind of think about average trends for goaltending in the NHL, it's it's obviously much easier to score in a goaltender when you're up in that kind of low slot area rather than back on the blue line. But I think that they, 
that's been the five on five high danger production has been kind of the one of the few things that I am genuinely worried about for this team down the stretch. And I think that they have at least started to work in the, in the right direction for that. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I wish I, I should have like, you know, graphed this out before we did this podcast. Cause I would have liked to see how much that trend was changing in kind of recent games, but at least from, from my, uh, sort of limited back, uh, you know, looking into it. I think that it has been better lately. Um, but George, correct me if I'm wrong, if you know. I, I do not. I haven't, again, I haven't really taken the time to look at the high danger stats besides very, uh, just besides very, very simple numbers. Like, I just five on five yeah. stuff. Well, and like we were, t- I mean, it, it might be total recency bias because, like, we were talking about kind of earlier, I think all four or four of the five, and I, I would guess now five of the five, I didn't see exactly where Forsberg's goal came from, but I'm assuming it was in the low slot. Yeah. Um, is a, you know, hundred percent of their goals tonight have been in, have been high danger chances. So you can really see when they're staying patient and really keeping the pressure on and close to the the goal crease. I mean, that's where the success is going to come from. Um, and uh, you know, we've seen players like Craig Smith tonight, especially, just really enjoy getting into that zone. And, and with his shot and speed, it's going to work out um, very well in the future uh, for the Preds. They, uh, I think. I'm always happy to see games like this where they really start to show improvement in the five on five category. Cause as much as I love, you know, the franchise set a new record for like 13 home games with a power play goal or something, you know, it's, it's, you, you definitely want to see them be able to produce at even strength as well. Um, and, and Corey, I'll, I'll just pose this question to you. Cause I think George and I were talking about it a little earlier. Do you think the, uh, the it, do you think it's a, an issue that we really need to be concerned about to that the national seems to be relying a little more on the power play than perhaps they should, or is that just kind of you know is it as long as they're winning it's all right? I'm kind of one of those that six of one half dozen of the other. I mean, I'll, a W is a W. I mean, I'll, if you if you get the two points, if however you get the two points, that's great. I know when it comes to playoff time, you're going to get into some of those, and I know we're way way ways from a playoff at this point in time but when we get to the playoffs you're going to you're going to have those moments where it's going to be a little bit more physical and so those power play opportunities could um could present themselves and so you want to make sure you do have a successful power play or that you're really good on the penalty kill um and so i'm not i'm not as concerned about that we're relying about relying on it too much there's still a lot of chemistry being worked on here with the team as injuries have you know caused some uh, some changes in the lines so, you know we talked about with johansson earlier today but also just getting tourists in and then you know and you know what happens when we get hartnell back and you know it's there's there's some things that have to happen of course ryan ellis coming back is going to cause some chemistry issues as well so once we get everything in place and we have that solid five-on-five alignment, everybody's healthy or is as healthy as they can be, once we have that going, I think that's going to ease some of those problems of the five-on-five versus the power play. Get the points where you can. If that's on power play, great. But we do need to make sure we're being a little bit more aggressive towards the nets on the five-on-five. Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I am on it. At the moment, it's working, and I think that's good. George, I know you're concerned – um, I guess, especially in the playoffs, it's, it just looks totally different. You know, the referees tend to call in my, you know, just using the eye test. I actually, I don't, I don't think I've ever even looked at numbers to back this up, but it seems like the referees call way fewer penalties in the, in the playoffs. Um, so if your team can't produce at five on five, you're really going to be sunk. Um, but for the time being, I'm kind of with you, Corey, it, it seems to be working. And um, 
especially with some of the personnel issues they have right now. I had, um, I'm honestly on the verge of like kind of forgetting about Scott Hartnell. He's just been gone for so long. He's been gone since that Pittsburgh game. Um, it will be very interesting to see what this team looks like uh, when they get back to hopefully back to full strength if everybody gets healthy at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess we should we we can go ahead and kind of pivot and look at the week ahead. Uh, like you mentioned, I forget which one of you mentioned. I'm afraid, but you know, there's a huge five day break, which will be awesome um, in in the upcoming days. But first, they've got a a road game against Dallas, um, and then correct me if I'm wrong. They're back home for this Vegas game, is that right? Right. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to that Vegas game. That was one I really kind of had circled on the calendar because I, I do want to see Vegas in person. I'm just kind of curious uh, to see, you know, obviously the new franchise come to town. Uh, Dallas has been, uh, I think, a little down perhaps from where I expected this season. I, I thought that they would really be vying for kind of first in this central division. And lately it seems like they've been getting back to that form that I kind of expected. I think they've they've had a, a pretty successful run of the pretty of the recent games and I think that they they seem to usually be a pretty good matchup for for the Predators. It's a kind of a fun, tends to be very high offense. Uh, you know, obviously division divisional game. George, do you have any any kind of predictions for what we should expect with this Dallas visit? Uh, a lot of offense. Uh, quite quite frankly, don't let, don't take any penalties just because you're going to have Sagan, Ben, and and Alexander Radulov on, on the power play waiting and. I know it took a little bit, but Radulov's kind of found his game, and he's been really exciting to watch. And Sagan's been Sagan, and I know Ben's. I've just from like the last couple of games that I've watched, and I've only I've only watched probably four games this season for the uh, for the Dallas Stars. But Ben legitimately looks mad, like when he, when he's playing, and <laughs> some players can't play mad, but Jamie Ben most certainly can, and that's going to be. That's a dangerous equation for the Predators if if they let it if they let him get into his or they let, let him get into their heads. Um, I'm a little curious. I think that just be I think that since Johansson or Johansson didn't play tonight, I think that they should probably sit him tomorrow. Um, and if you, if you lose, you lose. Uh, the the Stars are in fourth place in the wild card, and they're two points back as of now. But in about a minute ten. If the if the Predators win, then they'll be uh, four points behind, and a loss tomorrow doesn't mean as much. Um, yeah, just uh, also Radic Faxa, who's a very good two way player, has has like four goals in the last five games, which it, it happens, I guess. I don't know that this this Dallas Stars team is as good as advertised, in my opinion, and they're very dangerous. And this is an interesting. Actually, I didn't know this before. I looked it up just now. The Stars actually lead the the NHL right now in uh, high danger goals for percentage. So they're doing they're being very successful in creating their own chances uh, in the slot and also mitigating them on the back end. Currently, they have thirty three uh, goal, high danger goals for and nineteen against. So that will be a huge uh, challenge for Nashville. Who you know we know they've they've struggled in that area especially I think on the defensive side of really locking down that low slot. And it seems like Dallas, that's sort of an emphasis of their, uh, their offense is really to get in that close area right in front of, I assume it'll be, hopefully it'll be UC Saros mm-hmm. and that tomorrow. Um, who also has, has not necessarily been the Saros that we kind of got used to last year. Um, certainly not uh, any criticism of him. I know the Predators haven't done so well in front of them, uh, but it will be a great test all around for, 
kind of how national responds to adversity in their weaker areas. Um, Corey, I assume you're, I'm always stoked for these Dallas games. I, I assume you're kind of in the same boat. Yeah, because they've been playing so much better lately. I mean, they went from being, uh, down in goal differential to being now plus eight coming into this game. Uh, they've won six, uh, seven of the last eight games, five in a row. Um, and so they're, they're really on a nice streak. I mean, they, they beat up on Colorado seven to two, uh, last night. And then they, uh, won, uh, against the Blackhawks in overtime, two games in a row. They beat the Knights on the, uh, in Las Vegas, uh, in a three Oh shutout. So, I mean, they're playing really good hockey right now. Um, they are still susceptible to some penalties against the Blackhawks. They did have 14 penalty minutes, uh, minutes, one game, but, it, the thing that I'm noticing with them is that they're they're turning it on at the right time. They're finally getting that group together, and they're scoring and scoring a lot. Um, and so I think with this being a back-to-back game for Chicago, I'm not Chicago, geez, for Nashville, you know, playing tonight and then playing tomorrow, are they going to have the energy to keep up? Uh, that's my biggest concern because you know the Dallas has got a couple days off. They're coming in and they're going to. Uh, they're going to come in and they're on fire right now. So it's it could be a, a really good offensive game all around, especially if uh, Nashville can score a couple goals in five on five as well. And uh, just to do due diligence here, the Predators did just put up the final score five to three with Boston in town. So we didn't jinx it totally, guys. The, hey. They gave up the, the three right. goal lead and replaced it with a two goal lead for the victory. But. Um, Oh, I did. This was interesting. I, I kind of had to bite my tongue, so I didn't cut anyone off. But Arvidsson, I noticed uh, while Bruin, the Bruins had an empty net, Arvidsson uh, went for the empty net goal, missed, and then somehow made the uh, won the race from behind Rene all the way <laughs> to the uh, attacking zone to beat the icing. That was pretty incredible. Um, Arvidsson kind of uh, keeping that, that those quick feet up. Uh, which is obviously one of his skill sets, and then Watson getting a block, a, a last last minute uh, block, which I think we're all pretty used to seeing too. Absolutely. Um, and then yeah, the, the so a couple of interesting games this week because they've got the Stars first, and then of course the the Golden Knights in town. And no one knows really what to think about the Golden Knights. I think that's pretty safe to say at this point. Uh, if you, I think if you asked, uh, you know, a hundred hockey analysts, what if the if the Knights are for real, half of them would say yes, and half would say no. Uh, and I'm exactly in the middle. I, I can't decide if they're good or lucky or both or what. Uh, George, what do you think uh, we should expect out of this Vegas visit? I don't. I can't tell if this team is for real either. I guess they are, just because I usually like to save all my like my decisions on whether a team is real or not for after American Thanksgiving. And here we are, December fourth or whatever, and yep. they're still, right. I think, at the top or second in the, the Pacific Division. Um, one of the things I've noticed, uh, oh, yep. <laughs> just to continue on with the Vegas Golden Knights being real or not, no one can decide. They are exactly at fifteenth in goal in high danger chances for and high danger chances against. Um, <laughs> so exactly, yeah. I don't know this. This team is like, I want to say that they're lucky and that they've gotten incredible goaltending, but they've also lost so many goaltenders just due to injury that it's hard for me to call them lucky in any way, shape, or form. Um, just even going to like their PDO, they're rocking a 100, a 100.4, but still a, a 100. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Jeez. A poetic moment here in Nashville with the three stars of the game just being Kevin Fiala, Kyle Turris, and Craig Smith. Yeah. So that whole line just <laughs> gets to be the star <laughs> of the game. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And by the way, Turris, uh, Turris did a very good job at picking out who exactly he was going to throw the T-shirt to. I like to see that. <laughs> he didn't just uh, chuck it up randomly. He really looked for, who I guess, who he wanted to give it to. <laughs> um, well, that's interesting that you mentioned that Vegas, they're basically right down the middle um, in every single way possible. And I'm excited just to see them kind of against Nashville, obviously a team I know better than the rest, so I can really kind of hopefully get a better idea of, of what Vegas is like. Um, Corey, you seem pretty convinced by the Golden Knights, uh, but I guess you know it seems like you can't really argue with their results. But uh, you know, do you do you have any insight on whether they're a, a real challenge or not? Well, I mean, also uh, like you said, it kind of depends on the goalie situation there. Um, the good thing about this game is that it's on Predator home ice, and the Predators are one of the best at home. The Golden Knights, they're they're okay on the road. I mean, they're they're six, seven, and one on the road. Um, but it's also about kind of who they've played. Um, they they lost they've lost three three of their last four games. They played Dallas. They, they lost at Minnesota and at Winnipeg. So you know they're playing some good teams. But then they struggled at home to beat uh, Arizona last night, or excuse me, on Saturday night in overtime. So it, I don't know what to think. I kind of look. I've, you you are what your record says you are. If you want to go off of Herm Edwards and football stuff here. But I'm also kind of looking at who they've played because I, they haven't played a lot of – if you look at the, the strength of the schedule, it's far below where the Predators are. Predators have played all these teams that are above 500. They're, they're, they're getting points more times than not on their, uh, in their games. And, you know, they've, Vegas has got several games against Arizona already. Matter of fact, they've got four games against Arizona already. They've played uh, some of the lower-seeded teams a little bit. So are they beating up on bad opponents or are they really, really talented and play or, or they get a lot of luck at home with their crowd because they're really good at home as well? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, you're, you're probably going to have a lot of uh, happy fans in Vegas, I guess, if you're uh, if you're playing there. But, I, you know, it could be a test for the uh, just because we don't know who they are. But I I think being on home ice is really going to help the Predators uh, lock this one up. Yeah. There's no Vegas flu in, in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Exactly right it, with the, the Nash Vegas <laughs> flu, and yes, I did uh, did hate myself just a little more for saying that. But yeah, uh, yes, uh, the, the obvious joke had to be made. Um, uh, and of course, we're we're ignoring a slight elephant in the room is the the return of James Neal, who at this point is healthy and looks like he'll be uh, suiting up for this game. Uh, you can assume that he'll get uh, you know a nice welcome back. Um, hopefully. Hopefully by now people aren't uh, still too upset about losing Neil. I think the Predators have shown that they they don't necessarily need his goals to still be uh, productive. But um, you know, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people that would argue with me also, saying they that they couldn't they couldn't um, get def- Kyle Turris if they had if they have James Neal. They yeah. they would. I know. I, I mean, we're, we're, we I think we're all on the same page yeah. on this. So it'll Ugh. just be a, an echo chamber, but. I, yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think it was a fine move. But anyway, you, you can definitely expect some high emotion. I'm sure the Predators will do you know, a tribute. Um, I think he certainly earned that, uh, that privilege. Um, he did. Uh, this is a real shame is, is James Neal is now missing like four of his front teeth, and he always had perfect teeth, and I always thought they were fake. Um, but Vegas ruined him, <laughs> I guess. They, they let him lose those four front teeth. I will say one of the other things that concerns me about this is the even strength uh, scoring. 70 goals for Vegas, you know, tied for second in the league. Uh, 
Um, that's going to be a crucial thing, I think, if we want to keep them at bay. Yeah, and that's again kind of like Dallas is really going to test their their high danger defense. Is is Vegas is going to test their ability, um, kind of to to score at even strength. So it will be a very interesting um, week in terms of kind of even from a neutral perspective of seeing a team like Nashville who's who's being very successful at the moment but has kind of obvious weaknesses to see how they kind of address those against teams that are really stronger in those areas. Um, yeah, and then and then uh, I think, like I mentioned earlier, they get a, a really solid five days off. Johansson should uh, certainly be back by the end of that, you'd think. Um, perhaps Hartnell back. Of course, they got Weber back tonight um, for this <clears throat> Boston game. So they're in, you know, they're slowly approaching healthy. Um, and then we should hopefully get uh, Ryan Ellis back by around Christmas time. So they, uh, they're in a really good position here to beat some really talented teams and kind of continue to prove that they, the Nashville's a real contender in this league. And even with some injuries and uh, beyond that, hopefully get their, their team back at full strength and, and really be able to do some damage on the central division. Um, and I guess beyond that, we should just uh, go and wrap this up. I'm, again, I'm glad we didn't jinx the uh, the Bruins result too badly. I think Nashville is now in second in the central. Uh, St. Louis has kind of been stalling a little bit lately, so Nashville did well to take advantage there. And then now they've got Winnipeg to look up to. Um, anyway, uh, th- thank you all. Uh, I guess we should do our – I always forget to do the plug, but the social media plug. Uh, you, you can find me on Twitter at WadeM1994. And then, of course, on Pride Lines, uh, I'll have an article, uh, at least one article, maybe two, coming out tomorrow. Uh, so uh, look for those if you kind of like more of the stats analysis breakdown and that sort of thing. Uh, Corey, where can we find your stuff? Um, I am at J Corey Francis on Twitter and on Instagram. I uh, have my own webpage that is also jcoreyfrancis.com. So I've got some stuff up there that's mostly uh, music type things. So I do a lot of writing for that as well. But uh, uh, if you're looking for my predators and, and sports stuff, at Corey Francis, at J Corey Francis on Twitter and of course on Predlines all the time. And uh, George, round us out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at GeorgeM1019. Sometimes I tweet, sometimes I don't. It's, it's, sometimes it's better that I don't. You can find me on Predlines. I write things that are fun and that are very numbery. Uh, so if you like numbers, you're going to love me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you ever get a really snarky response on Twitter, it's generally true uh, from the Predlines account. Um, anyway, yeah, beyond that, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy the Frosty. Of course, the, the Preds got the four goals, so go go and get yourself a free Frosty between now and tomorrow night. And uh, to, to Corey and George, I will see you all within the next week or so. All right, guys. Thanks, thanks for listening. Have a good night. Bye.